Look out. Surging up from the depths of the sea. Horrifying, mysterious creatures whose attack on people sends the whole countryside on an endless search. Unless something is done and done quickly. Is this the end of our civilization? You'll pioneer with us the perilous descent into the unknown. What does that mean? What are you even talking about? A deep, penetrating dive. In the last calm and reflective moment before the monsters came. Humanoids from the deep dive. Welcome to the podcast Humanoids for the Deep Dive, where we dig deep into the meanings and contexts of your favorite monsters and monster movies. Each episode we'll see guests and myself give our takes on an important movie monster and or film and what we think it means using everything from history, philosophy, to films and folklore. Today's episode we will be covering a series that's very near and dear to my heart, one of the first series, perhaps the first horror series I fell in love with growing up, Final Destination, and its central entity, Death. And to discuss it, we have a very special guest, series creator Jeffrey Rennick. Fans of the show can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Google, and iTunes. Also follow us on Twitter at HFT Deep Dive. I'm your host, Jeff Ewing. I'm an entertainment contributor for Forbes on genre film with bylines in Nightmare on Film Street and Shudders the Bite. And I've co-edited two books on Munster Media, Alien and Philosophy, and Stranger Things and Philosophy, as well as having written book chapters on topics like The Devil, Frankenstein, Jurassic Park, and more. I'm very pleased to introduce two excellent guests for today's episode. Jeffrey Reddick is a director and screenwriter, creator of the Final Destination franchise, and more recently, the writer and director for horror feature Don't Look Back. Welcome, Jeffrey. Hey, how are you doing, other Jeff? <laughs> I'm doing very well. <laughs> doing very well. Uh, it's good to represent the the Jeffness for the episode. Yeah. Uh, and then Andrew Fleming Dunn, uh, you might know him on Twitter and Twitch as Dark Crow, is a co-host of the film podcast The Rotating Chair and a Twitch streamer. Uh, he shares my stance on a lot of films and film series, so, so I thought he would be a perfect guest co-host for this episode. Welcome, Andrew. Hey, how you doing, Jeff? And how are you, Jeffrey? I'm well. I'm, I'm well. It's it's Friday, you know. Yes. Um, not, that I, not that that means anything. <laughs> <laughs> but it feels good to say hey it's friday yeah you know it still counts yeah right. it's like ready for the weekend where i'm going to do the same stuff i do every day <laughs> right. Precisely. Yes. Exactly. so i'm like oh today i can have a preliminary week on and my work is preparing for a podcast episode about death yeah. <laughs> that's fun that's a good way to end your week it really is though i've, I've enjoyed myself thoroughly um <laughs> so final destination is an American horror franchise composed currently of five films, two comic books, and nine novels. It's based on an unproduced spec script by Jeffrey Reddick, uh, originally written for the X-Files television series, of which I was also a giant fan, yep. uh, and was distributed by New Line Cinema. All five films center around a small group of people who escape death, typically from some large-scale accidental disaster, when one person, the film's protagonist, has a vivid premonition and warns them of impending death. They avoid the disaster, and one by one death pursues them as they try and escape its grasp. Uh, so it's so interesting to me, because one, and we are, we're, we're going to get have ample time to, to talk about the film and the themes, but I just want to mention that that's a really good concept. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Yeah, no, um, it, y- you know, you come up with an idea... And it doesn't it doesn't necessarily hit you how you're going to use it yet. Like I read a story about a woman who was taking a flight and her mom called her and said, you know, take another flight because I have a bad feeling about the flight you're on tomorrow. And so she changed her flight and that put the idea mm. in my head. 
Um, and when I was trying to get an agent, I had to write a spec script for something on TV. And so the X-Files was one of my favorite shows. Mm -hmm. And I was just trying to think of an opening for an X-Files thing. And I was like, oh, that'd be cool if a character had a premonition. So that gave me the story to put it in. But um, I never sent this, you know, there's, there's a, there's a, I don't know, it keeps coming up on Wikipedia, but in other places, but I never sent it into the X-Files because uh, I got my agent and then my friends at New Line were like, this is a good idea for a movie. So, but it was very karmic that James Wong and Glenn Morgan, who worked on like some of my favorite episodes of the X-Files actually came on mm -hmm. as, you know, writers, directors. And um, yeah, so it was a kind of a cool, like karmic-y kind of thing, how everything came together in the, at the end of the day. Yeah, that's really cool. Because it definitely has that uh, Andrew, aka Dark Crow, and I talk about this a lot, how there's a lot of slasher franchises that get kind of redundant that aren't really imaginative that just, mm -hmm. you know, the innovation is, Oh, they stabbed someone with a different thing. Yep. <laughs> and, I, I, and I just love the flexibility of this concept and the inevitability and almost cynicism of, Oh, good luck outrunning the existence of death itself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a, it was, it was a tough sell to be honest to the, because even though like, you know, I had some producers, I got some producers on board first, even though I worked at the studio, I knew for them to really take me more seriously as a writer, I would need to get some producers behind it. And sure. Um, at, originally it was like all adults, so they didn't know each other. And then Scream came out and, you know, teenagers were hot again. So we changed them into teenagers and we kept, you know, getting notes from New Line, but they, they were just like, we don't understand what death, you can't fight it. We're like, that's the point, you know, <laughs> everybody's afraid of death. And um, finally, you know, we threatened to take it to Miramax and they're like, all right, we'll buy it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm glad they did. And I know that they're glad that they did as well. That was actually one of the things I, I wanted to touch on, because I thought one of the master strokes in this was that they were teenagers, because it's really around that age that you you really fully grasp death. You're you're out of your adolescence. You're you're slowly becoming an adult, and and the world is opening up to you, and, and the harsher realities of it. Like up to that point, I I think for most of us, death is like this abstract thing, and then yeah. and then here you make it a tangible force, and maybe something you can understand and something you can grasp. I remember it, it, that struck me at the time, and it really struck me uh, when I was revisiting them. Like holy shit, that that's kind of brilliant, you know, the, the demographic. Yeah. And that's what I love about like just working, just being like creative and stuff like that. Is you know, I I had it in my I didn't I had it in my head that I was going to make them adults because because I really wanted to make all their backgrounds different, mm -hmm. you know, from, like different classes and stuff. But then when they said teenagers, I'm like, cool, because I that's kind of stuff I loved. Um, and then I realized, yeah, you know, like teenagers aren't sitting around having philosophical conversations about their mortality. Um, you're immortal, like, right? Yeah, we're going to go out and get drunk for the next year mm -hmm. and have a bunch of sex and be yeah. live forever, or go to church for the you know just for everybody. But they're not talking about death as something that that's impending, like and coming for them. So um, it definitely gave us some interesting areas to explore. Yeah, I, I think another thing that's interesting too is there's always in many of the films there's at least one character that has a moment of. of teenage belligerence where they're like i choose my own destiny whatever whatever and this is after it's already been discussed like no something's hunting you and you're doomed they're like no i choose when i go i choose when i don't and that is pivotal teenage belligerence yes yeah yes yeah and they always say that 
and then they die. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll give it to a uh, uh, Kerr Smith's character in the first one, who is probably one of my favorite teenage bully characters in any movie. Like he comes on and I immediately am like, yes, this guy's hilarious. Like, I feel like he should be harassing people at like a ski school somewhere. Like he's that like the prototypical teenage bully. And I, I love, I think that's his exact line. I'm going to live forever, but it, yeah. that is your mentality then. Yeah. Yeah. He's funny. Cause um, he definitely got kind of developed more later on. So yeah, he, he's just the epitome of like a bullet. Like the minute you see him, he's like knocking people down and that's. Pretty- yeah. <laughs> I, I think, uh, isn't his first move to hit the protagonist in the face? Yes, well, yeah, no, he's, he's like knocking people out over. He's knocking people <laughs> around in the before he when he gets out of the car at the beginning. Like, yeah, he's knocking Billy over. Yeah, it's it's it's. He is so wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> he's just like he's like he's like just the male id run amok. He really you know? is. Can death take out the male id? It very much can, if necessary. Yeah. <laughs> death can kill so- anyone. Uh, so tell me, uh, sort of, what inspired you to make a movie about death specifically and, and what you're sort of, did you call upon any sort of cultural references where, where did that solidify from? Yeah. You know what I, what I did with this movie is I, is I wanted to avoid that. Um, mm-hmm. Because for me, when I even, you know, cause working at a studio, obviously you start learning like what kind of perks their ears up and you know, what makes them interested. So obviously anything that can be franchisable is a leg up for a studio, but you know, as a horror fan, like I always look at, especially when I was growing up, the films I loved, you know, you started reading Fangoria and you started reading other magazines that would show you how they were made. But then you'd read a lot of other articles that would talk about why certain films hit with an audience. And it's usually because they touched on some kind of universal theme. So I knew everybody was afraid of death. Obviously, (laughs) that's one of the, that's one of the things that people are afraid of. And then it was just kind of, you know, I realized that, you know, that that's an international thing that's not pinned down to any specific religious belief or non-religious belief or cultural belief like everybody's afraid of death mm-hmm. um so i i was like this is a great protagonist and i don't want to put a face on it like i know at one point new line wanted us to in one of the many iterations of the treatment before they they bought it had me write the script there was they wanted to have some kind of like demonic monster show up and we were even talking about trying to tie it into like Judas and you know like it's oh, not wow. that it's like an angel of death you know but mm-hmm. I, I kept fighting because I'm like we don't let's just not have it tied to any cultural or religious thing because that way everybody can relate to it whether you're mm-hmm. religious or not and that's proven to be like the thing and I'm glad that James Wong and Glenn Morgan fought to keep it that way um because I know I think they got some stuff from the studio too where they wanted to show death and they were like no um and I think that's why it's kind of got the had the kind of impact that it has culturally is because it does, you know, people around the world can watch it and just relate to it because it's just a base human fear that we all share. Absolutely. I think one thing that's so interesting too, is uh, if you look into it, it's not 100% invisible either because it has what I would say are footprints, you know, it has calling cards of when it's in the area. So there are visual markers like wind or in one of them, you know, you can see like a skeletal shadow kind of pass over just, just a hand, but you can see something. So it has, it doesn't have visible corporeality, but it does have substance. Yeah. It's like there, but not there. It's, it's often represented, at least from what I've seen, maybe I'm reading too deep into it. Is it's, it, it, 
you take like the four elements, earth, air, fire, water, that's often how it represents itself through a dripping puddle or the wind blowing. It, it never quite feels like a supernatural entity. It just feels like it's nature. It's the universe correcting itself, which is also such a frightening concept. You know, it's like you're the you're the the virus that it's trying to push out because you should be gone. Well, that's cool. See, that's now see that's put something in my head now. So maybe there'll be a an Andrew Fleming destination yes. um, about nature. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Dig that. No, but it's like that's the kind of things that I love about film in general is because there's certainly things that you put in there consciously, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of space that you leave in films where people can also interpret things. And it's just fascinating to hear what people get from, from films. And then I'll just be like, Oh yeah, I meant that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know this is obscure detail in the first one. And and it's one scene. And like, what did you mean by this? You're like, Oh, I totally intended, but what do you think I meant? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) I meant for there to be a lot of blood. What do you think it meant? Oh, yeah. No, it meant that deeper thing that you just said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, it, I think that just translates. That's why the idea is so, like, almost, it's almost devious in its brilliance because it yeah. is such a universal thing. And it, it is something that's so unavoidable. And it's something that you can immediately grasp. Where, like, Freddy Krueger is is a dream demon. It's, it's something so other. You don't get it. But death, that accident... That is something every day. I mean, every moment of every day, every breath could be our last. And it's, it's every one of us feels it and it's effective that way. And getting to use the catharsis of we defeated it, even if just as the audience, you know, watching people do this, it's like, I stared death in the face and I walked away. Literally. Yeah. It's, it's so, it's so freaking cool. Yeah. I've been chasing that dragon for 20 years because <laughs> everybody's <laughs> like, come up with something else like final destination. I'm like taxes. People are maybe the tax man. <laughs> I don't know. You know. The only other thing that's inevitable. Yes. <laughs> um, but it, it's so funny too, because all of the two other things kind of, for me contribute towards its universality in the sense that uh, one, so the first one came out, I was 14 and all of the people in it looked like me. They weren't scantily clad camp counselors mm-hmm. of Friday the 13th films. They were real characters. They talked like real people. They yep. had real interactions and they looked like people I knew. And so it added a level of groundedness for me. And also the fact that what happens to them happens both in places they they feel safe, like their homes, and in places they feel less comfortable, like the dentist's office. It doesn't matter. It's just things that could happen to anybody at any time. And that was um, intentional. I mean, and, and again, there was a lot that, you know, I think the the most I, seismic change that uh, James Wong and Glenn Morgan did, which I think actually elevated the project a lot, um, and I'm so glad they did it, is my original take was more, because I'm such a fan of Nightmare on Elm Street, my original take was that since death didn't get them the first time, it basically had to mind F them. I don't know if I can say the word. Um, <laughs> you can't, it's fine. Oh, they had to hit, you know, death had to mind fuck them until they committed suicide. So like oh, in wow. my script, Ooh. Alex's best friend, Todd, you know, was like, tip, you know, typical like son of a preacher who'd done some bad stuff. And he got hung in my script, but he basically rigged up a noose in his garage and he, there's this great scene where his dad gets a call and he's apologizing to his dad and his dad's like, what's wrong? And he's hurrying home to like find out what's going on with Todd. And he opens the garage and 
Todd's rigged the noose up so he gets hung in the garage. So the scenes have, were paralleled a lot, but you know the whole Nightmare on Elm Street kind of dark element, fantasy element was taken out. And I think the Rube Goldberg angle of just having it be stuff around you helped make it more universal and kind of take it beyond just the horror audience that I think would have appreciated it with the horror stuff. But I think maybe it might not have had the reach that it has had without that element taken away. I mean, it's obviously still a, a, a up and up horror movie, but with the fantasy element taken out of the mind fucking, you know, just mm-hmm. having things around you. But yeah, I did that in my script originally is like just, you know, I wanted the kids felt safe at their homes or at church or at school or in crowd, you know, it's like death will get you no matter where you're at. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot, actually. Like, was it was it physically manifested or was it just it was no. altering reality? Just altering reality. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, just kind of like devil on your shoulder. Only in this case, not the devil. Obviously, it's this um, mortality corrective. Yeah, as you could say. Yeah, and it was more like again, it. I'm using Nightmare on Elm Street, and it was more like that state between when they blurred reality with dreams. So it's mm-hmm. not go to sleep. It's just you a wind gust and you walk around the corner and all of a sudden you see somebody who, you know, Carter saw his dead girlfriend yeah, mm-hmm. and she was tormenting him, you know, and he kills himself, you know, like, so it was, it was a lot darker. <laughs> it was definitely yeah. a darker, yeah. darker take on it. So I like the, it's still dark, but I still like the more fun, like Rube Goldberg way that uh, James and Glenn took the project. So, but yeah, especially once we got the formula down with the first film, <laughs> then it became like, let's figure out places that people have to go. Yeah. Okay, people hate to go into the dentist. Yeah, I, I like the second one as kind of a soft sequel or prequel to The Birds. Yes. <laughs> you have the birds at inopportune times, like whacking against the window. And I was like, oh, I understand the birds now in a different light. <laughs> Death had it out for that town. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I love how impish it is. Like, I, I was really struck by, you know, the first one is, is, is a lot more serious. It does have its sense of humor and uh, it, it's kind of gallows humor. And uh, the second one just starts, it starts being playful with the audience too. Yeah. Like uh, the first death with the guy who wins the lottery. And you, it's everything I'm ever afraid of in my apartment. Garbage disposals, the microwave blows up because I put the wrong thing in it. Like uh, the gas mm-hmm. is out of control and I didn't take out the garbage. So now that's on fire. It is. And you're going to trip on this trash you left yeah, out. And you're you're, gonna... Exactly. Like and it's all these setups, all these wonderful setups. And then the punchline is the spaghetti he threw out in the beginning of the scene is what gets him. Yeah. And it's like, but it's, <laughs> I just, I, I was hysterical laughing last night. Cause I was like, this is, cause the first one is, it is like a bit more serious watching it the yeah, first time. Yeah. And then the second one, it was just like, hey, we're going to get impish as hell with this. Have fun. Yeah. And it still that works. Yeah. And that was fun, too, because I, I think for me, I always like the, the fun side of horror films. So for that film, you know, I wrote the story for it. And then Eric Bress and J. Mackey Gruber wrote the screenplay. And they're awesome writers. And they, they definitely have a dark, twisted sense of humor. So they elevated yes. the humor in that. And David Ellis, I think, just directed the hell out of the second movie. He's, uh, he really he's no did. longer with us. But man, he's a just a great director as well. So yeah, that log truck scene is my favorite it's, scene. I, I think it's one of the greatest action set pieces ever put on film. Personally. I do. I do agree with you on that. I, I will say that because I did, all I did was come up with the idea <laughs> and David Ellis, like, cause he just shot, man, he executed the hell out of he it. Shot the hell out of it. Like it, it, it almost, great. 
it almost has like a George Miller, just like early Mad Max vibe, like the first one, maybe just yeah. like the cuts, you know, when the guy hits, goes off the motorcycle, hits and the hits ball, the, yeah. and then the, uh, <laughs> I could almost see like, I was waiting for the George Miller, like eye bulge to happen. Cause it's like, it's, oh. it's, it's so chaotic. It's so insane. And yeah. it's, it's hands down. I think one of the greatest action set pieces ever put on film. I agree. I, yeah, I have great fun. I love all the, all the movies, but I have a great fondness for the the second one. Well, it's kind of funny too, because uh, actually the second one talking about that scene was I, what I mean, we uh, Jeffrey, you and I had already kind of talked online some, but it was what triggered me asking you because we were talking about that scene and how I still I don't drive behind log trucks if I can nope. help it because yeah. rewatching it, I remember every single frame of that sequence from mm-hmm. the first time I saw it. Yeah, no, and it's funny because when I, we were working on the sequel, you know, of course. It's typical Hollywood. They went out to every friggin' and I'm working at the studio, so I know they're meeting with every writer in Hollywood. <laughs> and I'm like, here's here's my story for it. And they ended up buying my story anyway and going with it, which is cool. But um, when I was working on it, um, you know, Craig Perry, who is, is a producer, and I call him the kind of godfather of the series. He's the one that's really been the creative backbone that's held like the whole franchise together. And he's a great producer. Um, but originally it was going to be a hotel fire. The kids are going down to Fort Lauderdale and they stay the night in a hotel and there's a fire. And he's like, eh, I need something better. And I would, you know, I was racking my brain and I was going home to Kentucky again, which is when I seem to have these moments of inspiration. And I was driving home and I got behind the log truck and then I pulled over because I always do. And then it hit me and I pulled off the highway and I called Craig all excited. I'm like, what about it? He's like, calm down. I can't understand you. What are you saying? I was like, what about on a freeway? And there's a log truck and the chain breaks. And he's like, that's it. That's the opening scene. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it was so really fun. It's my favorite it's, one. It's my, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I, I, it altered, I think, an entire generation's driving habit, like way more <laughs> than those, like, you know, those, the, the uh, those old um, driver's ed videos with the tomatoes and oh, stuff. Yeah. This is, well, this is that for like uh, the, the millennials, I guess, the, uh, the kids in high school during like, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands, that was a hundred percent. It, it altered all of us. Like, cause I still don't get behind logging trucks. Think how many lives we've saved. Right. <laughs> you know, we should get so the, many. All of us involved in Final Destination 2 should get the presidential you medal should. of honor because we've saved so many lives. You should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so interesting, too, because uh, so to kind of just talk generally about uh, its influence on me, as I mentioned in the introduction i mean i'm a huge horror fan to the point where i start a podcast about horror films uh but it's the first franchise that i really remember connecting with and watching multiple times and i know every kill and i laugh at all the points and i feel like i can relate to the characters and uh it was the first franchise that really had that effect for me and my generation growing up yeah, that's cool. I like, you know, it's just, again, it's, you know, as a horror fan myself growing up, we all have big dreams and stuff like that. But it's just like you as as somebody who's like a, any kind of artist, you just you do kind of want to leave a mark on the world and mm-hmm. she die tomorrow, you know. Um, and so I'm super just proud of the fact that that movie had, you know, kind of has become kind of a cultural touchstone and just very grateful like because you know obviously it's a it's a big bar you know like you can't set try to set that bar again for you you know you still try to strive to make good stuff but 
you know, you can't chase like that magic in a bottle. You just have to kind of quit or you keep creating. But the fact that, you know, this little horror fan from Eastern Kentucky kind of came up with something that people know and around the world is like pretty awesome. You know, like I'm forever grateful for the fans and for everybody who worked on all the films. And yeah, it's just been, it's just very humbling and cool. Tell me, uh, tell us about what sort of, as a horror fan, what, what, sort of cultural linchpins and horror films and references really inspired you growing up and as a creator? I mean, I, I started off, you know, I saw like Salem's Lot when I was a kid. I snuck out of my room and watched I love it. I that, that movie. I wasn't supposed to watch it. Mom's like, you can't watch it, but she watched it. And I snuck out and watched it in that window scene with Danny Click. <laughs> I had this, I was so scared. I had to like sneak in my room because my mom and my little sister shared a room so i had to sneak in her room and sleep for like a week on the floor (laughs) and my sister was such a biatch and so she would take like shoes and stuff to bed and then she would throw them on me because she knew that i couldn't say anything because mom would get upset if she caught me in there because she knew i would that she would i'd have to tell her i watched salem's lot um (laughs) so that movie was one that, that scarred me when i was way too young to be watching films but then when I was a teenager, I started hanging out with some friends, um, these, my t- Tony and Calvin um, in Kentucky. And we just started watching, you know, horror films. Like Tony showed me like Evil Dead. Uh, he was such a prick. He like had this really huge like floor <laughs> model TV. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to go to bed. You should watch this movie. I'm like, okay. And it's, <laughs> it was this most terrifying movie I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. Um, and so I just got into like, we, you know, but we also, we would read Fangoria. So like we'd watch Friday the 13th, you know, you know, because we were like teenagers, I didn't necessarily see the classics till later in life, you know, like sure. the, the psychos and the, the, the real classics, um, because we were like at the age where we're teenagers. So we wanted to see blood and, you know, Tony wanted to see boobs and I just wanted to see some guy, butt if I could, yeah. um, you know, so that's all we cared about, mm. but Nightmare on Elm Street is the movie that like, made me fall in love with the genre like that's mm. you know i i talk about it ad not so much that i'm sure people are sick of hearing it there you know that's the movie that really made me that it blew my mind as far as like wow this is what you can this is what a horror movie can be like Absolutely. i kind of knew the i knew the kind of the tropes of the other horror films it's like all right pretty people are going to go in the woods and have sex and get killed or a demon's going to do this but with nightmare it's like i you know i felt i totally fell for the Tina being the lead because I'd never seen Psycho, you know, yep. so I thought Tina was going to be lead and then she got murdered and I was like, what the hell's going on here? And the rest of the movie was like that for me. I'm like, I don't know which way is up. This movie's like blowing my mind. Um, mm-hmm. So that movie made me fall in love with the genre um, in a way that, you know, has not abated <laughs> since <laughs> since I was 14 and saw that one. Totally. Uh, yeah, w- the Nightmare on Elm Street films definitely... Uh, left an impact on me too. I know Andrew, you and I talk about them a lot. All the time. Uh, yeah, I have the love. I have a Freddy cardigan <laughs> that I paid way too much money for. Like, yeah, I, I adore Nightmare. Yeah. I, I need to get a glove. They The funny thing is they had one of the original gloves at New Line. And, <sighs> um, and so I picked it up and I was like, this is awesome. But um, one of the finger blades was, was not screwed in tight. So it like flicked down and it hit me right below my eye. And made a nick, like I was. I got you. One two, he's coming for you. I was like a centimeter, centimeter 
close to losing my eye. Oh, no. Because <laughs> it hit, like, right below my eye and made a nick, like, on my eyelid below my eye. I was like, oh, I got to be more careful. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, was know. I was young then. I wasn't a teenager, but I was, like, young. And, you know, how we are. We don't think about death. Yeah. Like, losing eyeballs. No. I just, I think that'd be a great way to, if you got to lose an eye, at least have it be like an original Freddy glove that did it. I'll have you a know, patch while on. at New Line. Yeah. yeah. I'll have a yeah. patch on. Like, arg. I lost my <laughs> eye with the original Freddy yeah. glove. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you, you just in that moment came closer than anybody else to being taken out by Freddy in real life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Officially. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you were almost his only real victim. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm so glad he didn't get you because then you couldn't be here. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, that's dang. Yeah. <laughs> you're, the, you're the original Nightmare on Elm Street real life protagonist. Yeah. yeah. I'm a final guy. You I mean, are. Yes, yes, you I are. Ready. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, and then man. you're like, no, you know what? There's only one way to get Freddy. I got to. I gotta manifest death itself to go, to keep yeah. me safe. I know that's it. That's the great thing. But again, working at a studio and you always think about all the marketing and merchandising opportunities. Is I'm like, it's great. I'd rather have Final Destination be what it is. But man, I screwed myself over because you know you can't have a Final Destination mask or a Final Destination toy. Oh, it's <laughs> like, true. Yeah. Know, like, oh, I'm just wearing a plastic bag over my head. I'm death. You can't see me. I don't know. Like, <laughs> You can't do it. You're just selling like little plastic gravestones. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you can have a little funeral for all the people you lost to the forces of nature. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, so that's always been fun. It's like, yeah, no, nobody's ever going to dress up as final destination for um, Halloween, but that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> what, what you should do is you should market. Uh, and me saying this on the show means I can have a soft copyright claim. So I hope this happens. Um, <laughs> you, you can make a series of licensed costumes based off the things that kill individual protagonists. Oh, <laughs> oh that's funny. Like, like, oh, yeah, I'm the one that killed the guy in the intro scene of Final Destination 2. <laughs> I'm that like ladder. Yeah. I'm surprised <laughs> they haven't done any of those. You know, sometimes they do those. Um, those. Um, I don't even know what they're called. Um I mean, I know what they're called. I'm blanking on them. Where they do like the, you can put the pieces together and it looks like a scene from a comic book or a movie. Oh, like a diorama. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, a diorama. That was a fancy word. I was didn't couldn't Google because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have time to Google. Yeah, I'm surprised they haven't been any Final Destination dioramas. Oh my god, that'd be great, actually. Yeah, be amazing. I'm thinking about like I, everyone in the series, and I'm like, I'd lied by that one, that one, that one. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, it's funny they haven't done that. <laughs> was. Just a uh, because uh, I've always wondered this. Uh, where did uh, the the Tony Todd character come from, and like, what is kind of like the intention behind him? Well, I can only I can't really I can speak to that more from what Glenn and James have said because I know in my original script the character's name was Randall, mm-hmm. and in my original script because you know they always tell you when you're writing a script you know why is this happening to this person and why is it happening like you know they make you answer those questions but then a lot of times when they make the movie they don't they take it out <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're trying to sell a script to somebody so originally i had it very clear in my script that alex had the premonition because he wasn't supposed to die on the plane mm-hmm. so then he found out that everybody else was so randall ended up being the character that kind of came in and explained the rules and what was going on and you know what uh, you know yeah you, you mm-hmm. can cheat it but these other people um so i know that when when james and glenn came on um you know 
they kind of took Randall out or kind of created the mortician character. Um, and I don't, I think they, I think they intentionally left it vague as to, to who or what he was, you know, so he's, obviously, he's close to, yeah, he's close to death because he works mm-hmm. as a mortician. He, so he, he obviously is close to death and he obviously knows mm-hmm. what's going on. But, you know, I think, you know, again, I can't speak for them. I just, knowing their style, I think they kept him purposely vague so that you yeah. aren't sure if he's connected to death, if he's representing death, you know, because he says, I'll see you soon, but he might just mm-hmm. be playing it as a mortician. Yeah, just or to just mess with them. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, you always need that. You do have to have that character in a movie like this to kind of explain what's going on um, because it's such a weird con. Like, you know, you cheated death. Yeah. yeah. It's really I kinda, hard to figure that out on your own. <laughs> like, I've always pretended that he was just like a really drunk guy who was fucking with him. And like the entire, he ended up actually being absolutely right about the entire mythology. So he's like sitting there after Alex and in, in clear leave. And he's just like, well, that worked, I guess. Sweet. And he just goes about his day, you know? Well, that was <laughs> he's like a conspiracy theorist. And he's like, oh, shit. I, I was right. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, how do I escape death he's like uh i don't know you gotta have new life or something because it makes the calculations off he just keeps being accidentally correct oh my god that's hysterical it's like i don't know if you wear different clothes it can't find you i don't know new rule yeah but it's it's interesting because um you know tony taught us and i was like you know i have to say i was like over the moon when they test cast tony taught because i'm like it's Candyman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was my, I'm like, you got Candyman. I was so happy. He's such uh, a, he's such a legend. It is. He, he's, you know, he's such a talented, he's such a caring, giving person. And he, I saw him do a one man show about the first African-American welterweight champion or bo- whatever you call it in boxing. I'm embarrassed now again, but it was a one man show. And he was, he was like 90 minutes, just him on a stage, just tearing oh, it up. Cool. Um, and is such a good actor. He's so phenomenal. And, you know, he's become like synonymous with the franchise now. Mm-hmm. You know, they've, they've done a couple without him, but then they realize the fans can't stand it. So then like they put his voice in the third one. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. You kind of need Tony Todd in Final Destination. It's not really. Cool. He, you believe like everything he says, you know, yeah. like you, you could probably tell him to say purple monkey dishwasher. And I'd sit there and go, yeah absolutely perfect oh, that makes total, yeah yeah like yes i was thinking that the whole time yep yep <laughs> thanks tony todd because in those eyes of his you know like yeah. he's so fantastic i yeah he's amazing it's always a and joy I, when he shows up yeah no i that was like and then i got that's a great another great blessing of working on something like final destination mm-hmm. you get to meet people that you've admired for so long but he especially I, was like amazing and i'm, I'm friends with devin sow who's brilliant awesome. he's a brilliant guy and he's really he amazing. was so good in in the series he was really yeah. good yeah he's an amazing actor and just funny as hell in person and just down to earth that's really awesome i uh i'm gonna assert my attention here i'm gonna do a Candyman episode get tony todd on it that's gonna happen i've said it so it's gonna be yes, true yes please yep <laughs> <laughs> yes please just get get a little tony could you could you imagine that those those that voice coming through your headphones answering your questions? Oh Jeff? man, I'd be so scared at the same time. <laughs> right? It's so authoritative. Um, <laughs> so how would you describe uh 
because death in, the, in this film series is is not just a thing that happens to a used to be living body. It's it's an active entity with with motive and with agency, and uh, and it'll it is a vengeful jerk. Um, yeah. How would you describe how would you describe death as as conceived of for the final destination universe? You know what I mean. I I originally conceived it as a dark inevitability like it's just Mm -hmm. like it's like a shark you can't get away from it but it also you know i originally when i first wrote the script again because of the way death got the people it messed up so now it's coming back with like (laughs) it's really gonna toy with you before it gets you in a dark way Mm -hmm. and i think um as the series has evolved a little bit it's you know especially because we've realized that the thing that really scares most of the people in the, when they're watching the film is wondering how death is going to get them. So mm-hmm. teasing that stuff out, like the gymnastic scene in the last film is one of my favorite scenes. Ooh, yeah. um, <laughs> I just, I yelled when it happened because, and that hasn't happened. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, I think it's gone from this kind of dark inevitable, inevitable force that you can't really get away from, but you can, you can, prolong like there's a set of rules you know mm-hmm. and they've definitely kind of up the twisted macabre yeah. <laughs> toying with its prey kind of thing um and yeah good... yeah oh man that scene really messed me up and it's funny too because you know <laughs> that you know at that point in the series that it toys with people so something looks like it might be yep going to take someone out yeah and then part of you is like, well, it could at any moment because that does happen. But on the other hand, they're probably fine for a bit because it's not done messing with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's I just love how like almost universal all of that stuff is like you have what the um, the the kitchen accidents and, you know, plane crashes, car wrecks. Then there's like uh, the, the little fears that had me as like a little kid, you know, like uh, the suction on pools. Like, could I could it? Mm. If I got like yeah. my finger stuck in there, would it like suck the skin off or something? You know, yeah. it, it, it you're constantly playing with these, and it, that's why I, I when I watch the films, it's like with a huge. This probably makes me a ghoul, but I, no, like a no. huge smile on my face because it's just like, yeah, I recognize. I'm yep, okay, okay, yeah, that that makes sense to me. I've thought about this. You know, well, it's the, the franchise has never, you know, Final Destination has never been mean spirited. Like, and I think that, you know, no. I don't. You know that's a that's not the kind of horror that I like. I mean, I like to go for the thrill and the adrenaline rush. It's not like I love to see people being like grotesquely and slowly murdered and tortured. So, um, no. I think there's always there's always been a playfulness about the Final Destination franchise that's kind of key to its success. And we and we, it's done on purpose. I know. <laughs> I can tell you the one that'll probably never see this light of day now is I was talking to Craig one time and we're like, what about a gynecologist's office? That would be awesome. <laughs> oh um, no! And again. Oh, I think yeah, that would have been a great scene. Like, cause you can, yeah. we say that you think about it, but now it's like, yep. obviously we wouldn't No, We would have never done it in an exploitive way, but you know, sure. we just wouldn't probably go there. Now. <laughs> right. I mean, that is one thing that I really do like about the, the series. The, uh, the characters are real characters. They have fairly fleshed out personalities. They're not just cannon fodder mm-hmm. and they're also not, uh, you know, they're fully clothed. They're not really like killed in compromising positions. They're treated respectfully, which makes the deaths, I think, emotionally land a little harder. Yeah. Yep. Because it's it's it... that tanning booth set in <laughs> that yeah. tanning booth scene in part three, like that one. 
you know, it's it's fine, but that's the one scene that it's like because I because you know one time um Pierce Morgan, which is funny, he 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 wrote something about something online and just something ridiculous as he often does, and I mm-hmm. responded, and he writes back. I guess he saw my profile and he's like, oh, says the guy who likes to like show gratuitous nudity and women getting you know tortured and slaughtered on film, and I you know I wrote him back some you know very professionally, but. I had to be like, well, none of the films that I wrote <laughs> have women. Be- <laughs> Cause, yeah. Cause that scene in part yeah. three is just like, so gratuitous. The girls are like, yeah, we're going to strip. And now we're going to stand here and bounce around. <laughs> now we're going to lay down <laughs> and we're going to talk some more. And now we're going to slowly fry to death. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, what's, what's a horror movie without bouncing? No. Oh, yeah. You need, <laughs> it can be yeah, lots of again, you've, you've got so many audiences that you're trying to, um, trying to appease out there so there's there's the there is the bloody bouncy crowd that you want to make happy too <laughs> yeah but it was funny just with the pierce morgan thing I'd be very like mindful of how i responded i was like none of the films that i wrote on in the series had any gratuitous nudity <laughs> but that's yeah. kind of like the i think jeff kind of hit it on the head like when you, you go to watch it it's like you're, you're there you're having a good time you, you don't step away from these despite their content feeling greasy which no. is very easy with a concept like this. And you, it, it's that kind of like, it's that gallows humor. And uh, it's a fine line between like, that is almost too morbid for me to be enjoying. And yeah. this is a blast. And the series, it, it it's almost like a perfect, you guys never like really miss the mark at all. It, it's a perfect walk across this very delicate um, balance and and it's yeah. like bravo like watching them again last uh, last night it was just like holy crap these are these are way more tasteful than i think other yeah. filmmakers might have done them and i think that's a lot to do um especially when you're talking about the franchise as a whole that has a lot to do with craig perry you know the producer the main the main producer on this mm-hmm. again he's he's just such a thoughtful like smart guy and he he's a big fan of the genre um and he's just really kept i think kept the movies on track um so you know again i definitely give all kudos to him too because i just the franchise wouldn't be the franchise without him um yeah it's good to good to note that i think because it's so important to get someone that actually gets the the potential yes Yes. and can catch what could be pitfalls if it was put in less thoughtful hands. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one, uh, another thing that I was thinking when I was rewatching all these is um, that I really wanted to ask you is in, in each film, obviously the, the characters initially escape a tragedy through a premonition. Mm-hmm. And as it goes along, sometimes there are little omens or car fluid that looks like blood or, you know, little subtle things that they might or might not catch to you. What is giving them, do do you have a concept over what might be giving them the premonitions or the omens? I still stick with my original, like the person that had the premonition wasn't supposed to die in the crash. Mm -hmm. I still stick with that, but they kind of, Devin Sowell wasn't available, you know, for the second movie. Um, Mm -hmm. They weren't, they couldn't work in it. There was some studio stuff going on too. And, you know, it sucked that they kind of killed him off off screen because that kind of mucked yep. up, that started mucking up the logic. And then we didn't kill everybody in the second movie, but then by the third movie, when James Wong and Morgan came back on, they killed everybody <laughs> at the end. And so after the third movie, it's like, let's just kill everybody at the end of them. <laughs> so um, mm-hmm. I don't think they've ever answered that question because, again, when I first wrote it, 
just again, the role of screenwriting is, you know, you, you want to know why this person is happening to this person at this time. But right. since they didn't really set the rule up in the first one, and since they killed Alex off in between movies in the second one, because originally, and in, in, you know, one of the changes in my stories, I had Alex and Clear coming back, and then Clear got killed, but Alex was still alive. And then when they didn't get Devin back for the second movie, it just kind of, you know what I'm saying? Like it threw the internal logic mm -hmm. that I'd worked on out. So right. I think they, I think at this point they're just, because it's, especially because they're killing everybody. But again, it's not canon because we only found out that the people in part two that lived died in the DVD extras of part three. So nobody in the movie ever said that they died. Yeah. So it's not canon, um, film canon. So you could go back and work some stuff out if you wanted to. But I don't think that they're putting that much thought into the mechanics behind it after, you know, after they took the logic out of it for the from the first film. You know, it's more like, well, you right. can, it's inevitable, you know? Yeah. Right. Like I kind of attributed it to um, the characters just, you know, there's a human capacity where sometimes you see a thing you're not supposed to, <laughs> or like, for example, like death's plan. And, you know, people have those sorts of experiences that, that they, they claim to have in real life. Yeah, that's what it was. I meant that. I'm, that's exactly what I meant. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing that thing, you know, that I said we do sometimes. Um, yeah. Hey, you know what? It's, it's canon now. You've said it. Came out of yep. your mouth. 100%. Yeah. Completely accurate. You have witnesses. <laughs> um, it, it's funny that you mentioned Tony Todd narrating a boxing one-man play sort of thing. No, he, he, did, he did the show. Like, he yeah. Acted. Oh yeah, I'm not okay. Yeah, sorry, I misspoke. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, we're now the host of the show by laws of podcast combat. Okay. <laughs> um, what I was going to say was that because the the story you mentioned that sparked the idea reminded me of the story I read about Sugar Ray Robinson, where he had to defend his title in uh, up against this gentleman uh, Jimmy Doyle, and he had this premonition he had this dream the night before that i think it was the night before that he killed jimmy doyle in the ring and so he tried to back out of it back out of the contract he met with his uh he met with a priest that was like oh you know no it's fine this isn't that's not really the way things work it's fine it's safe you can go ahead with my blessing it's okay and then uh you know his his manager he met with them and he couldn't back out of it so he fought the fight and then knocked jimmy doyle unconscious and then jimmy doyle died of his injuries oh wow yeah That's... so he literally did have a premonition human intuition's funny that way because i i had one about a um because I, I always like these kind of stories, because I think almost everybody has one, that one moment where if you had just went, if you swerved left instead of right, something would have happened, you know, your whole life mm -hmm. would have changed, maybe for the good, maybe for the worse. But I had one, where I, I was working a job, and I, it was overnights, and I, I, you know, I just didn't like the job, so I quit. And what would have been my very next shift, they were robbed, dude was shot. And that oh. would have been me. Yeah. And it, it, oh. it's... It, it's like, I think about that constantly and it's like, and it's, that happened like, I think actually around the time that um, part two came out. So for like, it, I instantly was like, this, this series gets me. I get it. I get it. Yeah. And then like, there's that little like stupid part of me that's like, all right, so I, I fucked up. You're like, I'm psychic time. now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, it, but it's like, I just, but there was like this overwhelming, like I was going to, I should have quit weeks ago and I hadn't. And then it was just something about that day. I was just like, yeah, no, I'm done. Like I woke up irrationally angry about it and was like, I'm done with this place. And then boom, it could have been. Wow. There's something there. Like, I mean, there've been so many times, like I tell people like, you know, there are too many things that have happened in my life that 
you can't explain by coincidence. Like just one of my glaring examples is I was in New York one time and that's, you know, most populated city in the United States. And one of my old friends from like, like high school popped into my head, like for no reason. And then I walked around the corner and bumped into him and it's like, okay, wow. I was like, you just popped into my head. Like before I, you know, and so, you know, there's no, obviously there's something interesting there, but like we only use a certain part of our brain anyway. So knows what's going on in the rest of it right you know right i mean everybody's had those moments where they know that someone is is looking at them yep. and they look and they and, and yeah. they catch it in the act but there is no way for them to have known that yep i i remember i was the night my father passed i was sleeping at home and i woke up for no reason like you know i i gone to sleep maybe an hour before i'd taken sleeping pills because mm-hmm. you know it's a stressful time and i woke up at 12.04 and I got a call 30 seconds later from my mom saying my dad passed at 12.04. And it's like, it's, it's a strange part of ourselves. And I think we can all connect to that because we've all had those moments and it's not always life or death, you know, it's, it's like what you said, your friend popped Mm -hmm. into your head, you turn the corner and boom, there they were that, you know, someone's looking at you. We're strangely receptive that way. And that's what I always took with, it's just a person who had an unlucky or lucky stroke of intuition in the series and now they have to pay the price for it yeah and it's every i that's what really connected to me as like a as a teenager when these came out i was like the perfect demographic i was the same age as the characters in the film and and it's just like i it's so and i I don't want to say this like this isn't like an insult it's such a basic human we all understand it, like you said earlier, with like, it doesn't matter what your religion. Did I hear that right? No, no. What? No. What? No. No. Oh, I'm going to boot you from the podcast. You can't have that sort of. But it is. It's unacceptable. I think these are films you can show to anybody because my wife was sitting there and she, it's it's an, a concept you instantly get. You know, and it's it's something you could instantly be afraid of. And it's, it's, these characters are so, we all have that moment. And what if there are consequences for this moment that we can't fight? Like the universe is such a funny place. And, and I I love that about this series that it explores just, just how funny it could be, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. One thing I want to talk about for, for a minute is because I want to kind of do what the show's about and talk about the sort of themes and the bigger picture things that makes me think of, because it's so unique to portray death as an entity. I want to actually talk a little bit first about the portrayal of death as an entity rather than just things are dying or an abstract fact of life. Uh, So while entities that govern death and the realm of the dead are very common, the world systems of religion, quite a few have personified death as, as its own entity itself. In ancient Greece, the personification of death was Thanatos, which was totally separate from Hades, the, the ruler of the dead and the realm of the dead that bears the same name. Um, and you could catch references to Thanatos as an embodiment of death in Homer's Iliad, for example. Uh, in the Bible, death is sometimes mentioned as an entity as well. Most, the, the reference that everybody in Western civilization probably knows is, is uh, the horseman death that rides the pale horse and is one of the harbingers of the apocalypse. Uh, Personifications of death in the West were very popular in the middle ages. Uh, It kind of uh, grew a lot in reaction to the bubonic plague and people culturally reacting to seeing death everywhere around them. Uh, You might see that in uh, Chaucer's uh, the 
uh, in the Canterbury Tales, in the 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 tale, the Partner's Tale, they portray death as a spear carrying thief, um, and often the most well known figure from the Middle Ages is when we start to get this black robed skeletal figure that we we think of as the Grim Reaper, uh, and that's kind of emerged out of that Black Plague context. After that, you'll find personifications of death commonly in Western civilization uh, in, in book two of Milton's Paradise Lost. The death is portrayed as brandishing his fatal dart. Excuse me. Um, you'll see death embodied in, as an entity in uh, Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman's novel Good Omens. Or uh, interestingly enough, death is also not always portrayed as the Grim Reaper. Sometimes it's portrayed as a woman. And in Neil Gaiman's Sandman series, for example, or the Marvel character, that's this abstract uh, universal figure of death is sometimes portrayed as a Grim Reaper-like skeletal figure and sometimes portrayed as a woman, just depending on what plot device they need, I suppose. (laughs) And then in film and television, uh, famously, you'll have Bergman's The Seven Seal. Andrew and I were talking about that. Um, with death playing chess with the medieval knight dur- during the plague or parodied in Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Um, you'll also see death in the meaning of life or the last action hero or uh, meet Joe black. The, the remake of death takes a holiday. Um, but for me, it's interesting too, because there's a, a, a long history of portraying death as an entity, but in television and film, other than uh, the seventh seal, I think the final destination movies are probably the key tradition that kind of follows that in a way. Cool. Which is yeah. kind of an interesting <laughs> thing for, for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you probably know more about the history. Um, Cause yeah, I don't, that's really cool. I mean, I, I don't want to say this cause then somebody will be like, there was this death in this one thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay all co- all podcast related complaints can be brought to you <laughs> uh, you can find me at hft deep dive but no i mean again that's that's what kind of really made it a hard sell at the beginning but i think that that's what made it kind of stand out and i it's interesting when you start talking about the history of death because when i was growing up i was really into greek mythology and roman mythology um and you know then i started you know yeah. reading the x-men and then you saw you know Mephisto, or I'm hopefully I'm his name right. Otherwise, it just sounds mm. creepy. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, you had all these different representations of death that I've seen, you know, through different cultures. But I again, the idea that it's not personified, that it's just like, yeah, there's like a gust of wind, or you might think you see something flicker out of the corner of your eye, but there's nothing there. I think was always kind of crucial mm-hmm. to to the film and what's kind of made it withstand the test of time. Are you ever amused by how much people maybe because we have this strange habit as a species to uh, imbue things with a personality? Like I always think of that scene from Community where uh, uh, Jeff holds up a pen, a pencil, and he's like, "Hey, this is Robert," and then he breaks Robert, and everybody gets sad. You know, like we we do this. We we constantly like we put personalities, and it's. I, I was watching in the first one. It felt like. It, it, I might just be an odd person, but like, it felt like it was almost, I kept thinking of Winston Wolf from Pulp Fiction, just coming in to clean up a mess. Like this thing, it's very, you know, cause it's less, it's less playful. It's less 
let's say mean spirited. It's more just straightforward. Like I got to take you guys out. Sorry. Yeah. And then in the second one, it's, it's like, uh, you know, last time this was that, that was a job. This one I might want to just be doing for fun. Cause like, it's just like, there's so yeah. many like little weird fake outs and it's, it's just, it's constantly messing with them. And then like, as the series goes on, it, it it's strangely playful, but it, it is just a gust of wind, <laughs> you know, yeah. but it, it's like, I'm, I'm imbuing so much into it. It's, 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 it's an ingeniously like simple premise that like, because death holds, you know, so much in pop culture and in so much weight over our lives. Cause it's the, the ticking clock, right? It's uh, right. we always have the guillotine over our heads mm-hmm. and yep. And, and you gave us, you gave us a, um, you gave us probably the most realistic depiction of it, even though it, it it's a it's a force of nature. It's a hurricane with a brain is right. like how I described it to my mm-hmm. wife. And, and I, I can't applaud you enough for how like fucking genius that is. Well, thank you. And again, I also, you know, give props to James Wong and Glenn Morgan and Craig Perry, the producer, you know, because mm-hmm. they all just helped develop it and it evolved and, you know, but yeah, like, it is cool to be be like the you know especially <laughs> with death part and the like the death design where they figured out like oh there's a pattern here like you know I, I can't say I made that yeah, yeah. <laughs> yay um, <laughs> but yeah it's cool to again it's just very cool and humbling to have the franchise had 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 the impact that it has um, not just on the horror community but also just culture you know yeah you're you're kind of the uh, the Tony Todd <laughs> character actually. Because you're the one that knows death's plan <laughs> and that yep. knows death has a plan and is telling people through films, you're trying to let us all know. <laughs> I'm going to say this is on purpose. That's going to be my official statement. You're trying to communicate to us that death has a plan. We need to watch out. And nobody's listening to me. No. <laughs> <laughs> they will now. We've, we've cracked the code here on Humanoids from the Deep Dive. <laughs> it's, one thing that I, I, I wanted to talk about sort of uh, thematically that I think is so interesting about the films on a, on a meaning level is that because even when you see the characters survive, perhaps they don't really survive. And it kind of, it's, it's the only sort of slasher, I guess you could say antagonist that you really can't escape. And it kind of brings to mind the inevitability of mortality in, in a way that Andrew, you were kind of talking about, and I love that about it thematically on like a, a yes. philosophical level, I, I guess. I definitely like that. And for, yes. for me, again, it's a, in its personal taste as well. Like the thing that I liked about the second movie is that it's not that you can cheat death, but maybe you can prolong your life longer. So I, I, I like, mm-hmm. cause I, cause you know, you're obviously your personal philosophies kind of influence how you, you view life too. So I do believe kind of in. Sure. I don't even, well, I don't know the definition or the distinction between fate and destiny, but, you know, I knew from a young age that I was going to work in the entertainment industry. Like, you know, my neighbor said, she asked me when I was like eight years old, or I think maybe eight or nine, she said, what are you going to do when you grow up? And I said, I'm going to be a movie star. Like, so, you know, again, I'm just a little hillbilly running around (laughs) shorts and (laughs) a t-shirt and sneakers and running around the woods of Kentucky. But I always knew that I was going to work in the industry and, and it felt like when I worked towards that purpose, things kind of fell into place for me. And then when I was not working towards that purpose, things would not fall into place. Um, so like, I don't, I don't necessarily think like, our, you know, we've got a time over our heads, you know, like on this date, Jeffrey's destined to die. So you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't really believe that. Um, yeah. 
plus my mom lived to be 97. So I'm like, and I, I know, especially, I mean, she, her mind was really strong, but she broke her hip in a couple places. And normally that doctor said, you know, she'll probably be with us for like three more years, you know, not three more years, like six more months. You know, they just said when older people like break their hips, that's when they usually lose the will to live. And my mom lived to be 97. And I know that she, she got really sick the last time. Um, and, you know, I thought we were going to lose her about four months before that. And she pulled through major surgery and then she got sick and she was going to pass away. And I, I absolutely know that she held on till I got back. I had to fly back to Kentucky. Like it was the worst trip I ever had to make because I was rushing to get back there. And she lived um, until I got there. And then she passed away about an hour after I got there. So I know that the human will has so much to do with how long you can live. Yes. So obviously we have to be mindful of that. And so taking care of your body and your mind and, you know, again, your the will is so much stronger than we think. So my mom's kind of set a high bar for me, but I'm just not as strong as my mom. <laughs> like my mom was a tough, tough mother. She was a, a t one of the strongest I've ever known. So I'm not as strong as she is, but, um, or maybe I am, maybe I'll, if I'm ever tested, I'll find out that I am. But, but I know that she through, you know, through, you know, she had, she prayed too, but I just know through, it was her, she had a, such a strong will. And my sister is very much like, please don't leave us, mom. Yeah. We can't live without you like all the time. So I think my, my sister, you know, guilt tripped her into staying with us for a lot longer than she probably would have, um, which I'm <laughs> grateful for, but you know, so anyway, I, that was a long discussion about with, with no real answer about like, I, I just, I don't think like, again, we're predestined to die at a certain time. We do have control over yep. our lives and our deaths. Cause you know, like I'm sober now, like if I was still drinking, you know, I would probably, I could be very well be dead by now. So, you know, we make choices yep. in our lives that I think extend our lives or shorten them for sure. Well, that's pretty obvious though. I think, <laughs> especially if you're an addict, you know, it's like, well, yeah, <laughs> if you're shooting up heroin or something, I wasn't doing that. I was just drinking, but um, yeah, if you're doing things that are probably going to kill you, then you're shortening your own life, you know? Exactly. It's a, uh, I, I actually had a bit of fan fiction back in the day. I never wrote it, but it was just something I, I like to play with, you know, franchises, movies, books. I like, you know, continue the story in your head. And uh, did you ever, did the idea ever cross your mind that maybe somebody had found the, within the franchise, somebody maybe could have found the, the key to immortality by constantly beating death's design, even to the point where they're like, they kind of I defeat old age. The, the, the one thing that I thought would be fun is you know, if we, if we stuck with the idea that the person who had the premonition wasn't supposed to die. And even I thought we could still work it into the mythology now, because, you know, once death skips you, you know, it's got to go through the other people. So that mm -hmm. technically makes you invulnerable until death gets the, gets through the list. Again. So I thought it would be fun to play mm -hmm. with the idea that death skips over somebody and then that person's invulnerable. And so they're always like, you know, trying to like stay, save the next person on the list. So you could have a lot of fun with that. Humanoids, we've reached the point in the episode where something unprecedented happened. My power went out mid-recording. What really happened is clearly that we got too close to leaking Death's design. We now resume. But yeah, I think right now this, it's interesting because the studio is very much like, if it's if the formula's not broke, we're not going to fix it. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think any future movies, I don't think they'll deviate too far um, from the concept unless... You know, like Chris Nolan comes in and says he wants to do a final destination. They'll be like, do whatever you want, Chris Nolan. Mm -hmm. Hey, I am 
back from the great beyond. Uh, what did I miss? I'm I'm, I'm, I'm a whole forever. new person. Me yeah. too. I'm straight now. I'm straight now. That's how much that's how much knowledge Andrew dropped on me. You're like I'm just straight my and I'm whole white. life. I'm straight and I'm white right. now. <laughs> I will never die. <laughs> Sorry you missed that. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me oh. feel really like disgusting <laughs> like, some horrible guy let me tell you about the the, the straight path <laughs> uh, you, know, you know what's funny uh so when we were uh initially talking um on halloween jeffrey about you guesting on the show i was watching final destination at the time and so yeah. when you wish me a happy halloween i'm like wait i'm watching i'm scheduling the creator of Final Destination about death. He wished me a happy Halloween while I'm watching Final Destination on Halloween. <laughs> I will never die. Yes, good. I'm glad you took it that way, as opposed to like, am I going to die? I'm like, no. oh, it's the opposite. It's a complete like, opposite. Exactly. I'm like, I am beyond mortality now. <laughs> nice. Do you get that a lot in life? Like, do you know when I'm going to die, Jeffrey? I I get more like where people will send me stuff and be like, oh, I'm worried. I'm like I then I just tell my I'm like nope I I had a premonition you're gonna be fine. You know? <laughs> I knew or, it the whole time. Or knowing me, I've got an N. I've got a special N, so you're fine. <laughs> I know all. I'll I'll call Tony Todd and um tell him to just say right. new rule only <laughs> only everybody that's not you can can die. <laughs> I was I was thinking about how frightening it would be and how much. Tony Todd should like invest in this where he should just record something that's like you're gonna die and then you he just sends it to people like they they give him money to do this like I'd love a message from Tony Todd telling me I'm gonna die soon yeah he should totally do the, that cameo thing right is that cameo right? where people charge yeah like, I think so yeah yeah just but you're gonna die and he just says your name take him like 20 seconds he's making a few hundred bucks each yeah yeah I would happily have that Mm-hmm. ringtone or message or whatever mm-hmm. it's like my yeah. friend once he met wilford brimley and he got wilford brimley to record his voicemail message so it's like you call him up and he he won't pick up and you just get wilford brimley talking to you for like 30 seconds it's awesome oh that's funny <laughs> yeah uh what were you talking about while i was uh in the great beyond um <laughs> i don't remember nothing really just it was uh what did what was the last part you remember that that'll help that'll jar me? Uh, you were talking about Christopher Nolan. Because oh, I, yeah, I was um, I was getting both of you at the same time, so it's like I, I couldn't understand either of you. Oh, okay. So we, we were t- we were talking about um, different kind of a di- any different I think iterations going forward, and I said you know that yep. you know the studio really is of the mindset of the formula is not broke. There, there's no re- reason to fix it at this point. So I. You know, I don't think they'll ever they'll change the kind of formula in the near future on any upcoming sequels. But you know, of course, if somebody like Chris Nolan would ever be like, "I want to do a Final Destination and make it like Batman," they'd be like, "Okay, put a bat in there. We're fine." <laughs> Was there anything that you really wanted to that you thought personally would have been great to kind of shake up the formula or add a little, you know, a nice little ripple into the uh, into the films that just sadly wasn't wasn't able to make the cut no i feel like you know with the second movie i was able to kind of expand out the story and show that the there is a ripple in everybody's life connected to other people's lives you know i I still think it would be cool to do kind of my 
more Nightmare on Elm street kind of version, you know, because mm-hmm. my whole thing is like death can have a new design, you know, and oh, yeah. instead of the Rube Goldberg thing, have it be like death is mind fucking them again. Um, so I, you know, I think that there, with that kind of tagline, death has a new design, you could probably take the franchise in a whole bunch of different directions. I, I still have an affinity for my original only because you know, I ended up ripping off some of the scenes from some other movies that I did just because they were cool scenes. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I still love just Nightmare on Elm Street in that kind of reality bending world so much that um, I think you could go with that for sure. Yeah, I do think like as, as ter- in terms of a franchise, very few have that malleability, I think. Mm-hmm. Probably, I would say, just Nightmare on Elm Street, obviously, Hellraiser, and the Final Destination films. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, because it's, it's, every film, you know, distinct new pleasures, new, uh, new characters, new Rube Goldberg devices, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it, it's a series I, I, I've, I've never gotten tired of. And it's a series that's actually been near and dear to me almost as long as something like, my love for nightmare on Elm street or, you know, I, I've really grown up with this and it's, yeah. it, it's stuck with me for 20 years. Like I was having so much fun revisiting him like this, this past week, just my mind was blown by like, it, it was the exact same feeling I had when I first saw it in theaters, when it first came out, you know, and, cause I had to sneak into that because I, I was too young. Cause you were so young. We know, we know yep. you're young. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah. I was Andrew, too. Yeah. You're both so young. Yep. <laughs> I had a terrible babysitter. <laughs> yeah. And and I was like, oh, I want to stay up and watch this thing and eat ice cream. And then my babysitter was like, you are going to inevitably die. We all do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Unless, she's like, unless you do your chores. <laughs> You're like, exactly. Oh, I'll do my chores. <laughs> you go to bed at nine or else. <laughs> um, I don't know. So, so, and is there anything else that, uh, for you all thematically that it kind of recalls or brings to mind that I missed? It just, I, I don't know. I, th- I think it was taking something as abstract as the concept of death because death itself is malleable. I mean, it can be disease. It could be a freak accident. It could be homicide. It could be suicide. You know, there's so many ways one can go. And, and you, the, the most ingenious thing that this this franchise to me brought to horror was just the uh, tangibility of death without having a Grim Reaper, without it being Freddy Krueger or Jason Voorhees, who are like mm-hmm. the mechanisms for death, but like this thing itself. And even though you get these little shimmers, you know, like it, it's often mm-hmm. that weird kind of black cloud that moves behind people. And it, it, it's it to me just like it's there. It, it's like you you explained a force in nature to me that I, I was having trouble grasping at the time. And, and it actually, this film got me to reflect on actual death. Cause I, I was looking at some of the friends I had lost and some of the, the weird shit. And it was like, this was my true understanding. Cause I started losing family members at around that time too. So it's like this film hit like for me just perfectly in my mm-hmm. own growth as like a human being. Oh, wow. And, that's, um, yeah. That's, um, that just, yeah, I mean, that's just like, you never think about that when you're doing something. And again, it's, yeah, that's just um, very interesting and, and again, humbling in a way to hear that something had that kind of impact on you. That's um, extremely seminal. And like, it, it's, 
it, it's funny. It's like, I think if you talk to enough people around my age who are, are into the genre, I think they'll say the same thing. I mean, this is like, this was this generation's Friday the 13th in terms of just, yeah. I think a lot of people saw this maybe first. Uh, you know, this is one of the first big horror I franchises. Did. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, when I think horror franchises, you know, you think Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Hellraiser, you think Child's Play, Halloween, Final Destination. It's So it comes in after all those other movies? Gotcha. Oh. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm just it, but that's just stop. because, it no, it just takes longer to mention it because you're afraid to speak its name. Yes. We'll crash your podcast. Exactly. Okay, Jeff's been doing this. Jeff's really okay. You're good. <laughs> So, fun fact about me, part of the inspiration for this podcast in general is because, you know, I, I'm a huge horror fan, write about horror, I love creature features and all that, but I also got a degree in philosophy, so uh, all these bigger ideas are things that I really loved, and I couldn't help but see them in, in franchises like this and in other films, and so I kind of wanted a space to really nerd out over them with other people that see the same thing. Right. Um, and awesome. a nice side effect of getting a philosophy degree is I can, if you ever need anything justified or need someone to help you talk <laughs> your way out of something, I literally was trained to do that. So that's good to know you, <laughs> the beginnings of a new horror film right there. Yeah. All, of a, all of a sudden it's like, you know, I'm out there like committing so many crimes and Je- Jeff gets pulled into like justifying it. Oh, I can see a movie right there. <laughs> Exactly. Like, like why are you going a hundred miles an hour? Uh, I'm sorry, officer. What? What <laughs> is speed? <Yeah. laughs> like, really, it's entirely relative to whatever. And aren't we all going what a thousand miles an hour or something with the rotation of the Earth? Yeah. What's like a little extra forty miles per hour of the quote-unquote speed limit? Yep. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I've subscribed to Jeff's magazine because it's just brilliant. How to get away with things for friends and influence people. Mm-hmm. And it comes with a free <laughs> subscription to Cat Fancy, so I'm, I'm in heaven. Is it, do you really have a magazine? No. <laughs> oh, I'm very, see, I'm very <laughs> trusting, so I was like, oh, that sounds cool. I'll subscribe to that. But until maybe you, I will. Until you yeah, said maybe Cat you should. Fancy. When you said Cat Fancy, that gave it, I was like, man, I think he might be joking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would, though. I absolutely would, because I, I did a lot of pop culture philosophy chapters and stuff in various books. And I love writing about and talking about and thinking about this stuff. So, hey, maybe there's potential. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you. Thank you so much for a, a franchise that it, it meant a lot to both of us and, and yeah. people of our generation. Um and I think part of the reason why it has that universality for me is is this combination of it. it's dealing with something that we all we're all going to experience at some point or another, and it's it's a common part of everyone's life that we don't like to think about and might not have a language to. But then it also humanizes the characters and treats them with respect so that you actually do care. They're not just like, you know, they have a naked chest to put a spear through. It's like, no, it actually does matter when they die. And the kills are really cool and clever and inventive from a horror fan perspective, but you also feel bad about it and you didn't want it to happen. Right. That's what you try to do in movies is, you know, you definitely try to create characters that you don't want to die. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and I also like the, uh, some of the tactical cleverness of ways people have survived death. Like, uh, 
like clear, you know, being voluntarily checked in to uh to the the quote unquote nut house. Yeah. Because uh, I'm like, oh, that's the one place it's literally made so that nothing can get you and you're perfectly safe. It Actually, really right. smart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's these 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 films were always smarter than you know. Like I hate when people kind of lump them in with with certain certain things from around that time because it's like this is so clearly the care in filmmaking scripting the actors because i mean yeah what devin sawa mary elizabeth elizabeth winstead ali larder like there's like actual like good actors across this series there's yeah great david r ellis glenn morgan and james wong like there's genuine filmmakers behind this there's a genuinely yeah. great idea and and you guys you all treated it with so much care and respect for the audience yeah you know like our intelligence and 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 you gave us good films and that's always been the goal like you know it's never been like let's rush one out you know just to make a buck like i know some people you know kind of hate on the fourth one and i think the biggest mistake on the fourth one they did actually have to rush that a little bit because of the writer strike it wasn't because of anything about trying to rush the movie out it's just they didn't have as much time to work on the script but you know they also marketed it like the final destination so any horror fan knows if it's the final chapter of something or if it's the you know what i'm saying like you're expecting yeah. like a bunch of answers and yeah. you're everybody's like oh i guess we're gonna figure out who tony todd is and we're gonna figure all this stuff out and then they went and they're like no oh, it's just another one <laughs> so it was it's a it's still a fun really fun movie um but i think the expectation was the way they marketed it like oh this one's gonna answer all the questions and be the final chapter so you know i think that the expectation but, was so high for that one but it stood sure. very well but um all that to say like you know there's a lot of care put into these films like there are a lot of scripts that come in that you know the studio and uh, craig perry that you know they'll they'll have somebody work on something or submit something and they're like yeah it's just not worth you know so it's not like they're like let's just rush something out and make a buck off of it you know that's why there's only been four sequels you know as opposed to like 25 <laughs> like, like final destination goes to hell final destination yeah. in space in space oh, yeah man, final, final destination, destination in the hood yeah space. they haven't done yeah <laughs> <laughs> i, I just... totally see final destination in space though right right <laughs> just like they could i mean because that's kind of the uh the amazing thing with the franchise is we, we talked about malleability is like you could have annualized this we could be on final destination 20 and i I yeah. would kind of be okay with that because it's death. You know, you don't have yeah. to keep coming up with a reason to bring it back because it's always there. Well, yeah, at one like, point there was there was a Craig was working on like almost a Game of Thrones t- take on this, and there's a there's a trailer he had made, um, and it's floating around line somewhere um, that they were going to do, and I was like totally like that's fucking awesome, you know, like Final Destination in the medieval times. Um, yeah, and then the, but the studio oh was like, God, yeah, yes. but. But people were the studio was like, well, but the reason people relate to this is because it could happen to them. So if you put it in medieval times, they can't relate. I'm like, do you not know how big Game of Thrones is? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, or like if you look at like uh, what the witch, right? It's yeah. period accurate, but you really do care and you find relatability in it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's was well, it's also because the the concept's so fun. Like my mind is already racing with what medieval Final Destination could have been. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. I think just every accident with involving a suit of armor and like a blacksmith shop could be. Oh, that, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> that's what I want to see like right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's actually super appropriate too because you know, as I mentioned, 
the sort of invention of picturing death as the sort of embodied grim reaper did come out of like the black plague era and so and it really picked up in medieval times and so even culturally that has like a a very deep well to draw from yeah because i i I sometimes like to think that maybe death just tipped its hand maybe the trap wasn't necessarily a physical object but like you think about the salem witch trials Maybe those people had uh, avoided something they shouldn't have. So it yeah. set forth this thing in motion. And it's like, because it, you do kind of get that it, it likes to, uh, it, it likes to play a little bit. It, it gets yeah. a little playful with things. Like you can tell it's like, it's like setting up mousetrap, you know, like the anticipation is like, you set up all these traps slowly, you get everything perfectly in place. And I can imagine death just grinning as he's like making sure that the aquarium leaks onto this particular outlet yeah and then the leak you know pulls back in afterwards to make it a mysterious Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah they did that one in the first one that you know i have gotten a lot of questions about that and it's interesting because you know again there's there's you know a director brings their vision to a film too and like that's kind of the only one of the films i can think of where death kind of did something and then kind of hid yes. what it did yeah, um, like, so like don't show your work yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh so what do you gentlemen uh what do you gentlemen have going on next what are your your current or your next projects anything you'd like to to pitch or let the audience uh at home know about andrew you go first oh man uh yeah well uh, you can catch me on uh the rotating chair podcast uh we have November and December planned out. We're we're going to be doing like one a week episodes. We uh, I think our next episode is a uh, Friday the Thirteenth kind of retrospective. Um, and then uh, we we also have an interview with Caroline's uh, writer producer Caroline Spence coming up. So that's very full. So we got you there, and you can find us on YouTube Podbean. Um, and uh, I stream almost every night on Twitch at 10 p.m. Eastern. So if you like horror games and uh, donkey brain conversation, come on by. <laughs> i'm so bad at horror tri- like some of my friends do horror trivia and i'm like they keep inviting me and i'm like guys you don't understand like you're i am compared to you guys i'm such at such uh, like i would just be embarrassing to have on your team you know because i know horror but i just i don't know the driver's license number of christine you know like the, and the, my yeah yeah, yeah. i'm like they're just you don't i just would be embarrassed or like, come on i'm like no way <laughs> <laughs> what did laurie strode have in her left pocket in halloween 2 in the 15th scene yeah right yeah. <laughs> i have uh, to do that and i mean there are people out there it's interesting that's the thing i love about you know horror geeks is we're like the stuff we get like fixated on like there are people that know everything about one movie like yep every single thing they've watched it, they know every frame of of one movie. Mm -hmm. And there are other people that know everything about 20 movies. And then there are other people that know everything about a hundred movies. So it's like, yeah, it's cool. It's a cool community for sure. We're, we're so insanely hyper-focused on stuff. Cause like, I I can't think of any other genre where it's like, do you know the makeup artist for this film? Cause I know all about, let me tell you about Tom Savini. Let me tell you about Dick Smith. Let me, you know, like we, we know our people and our heroes are the craftsmen behind film, the writers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's funny you mentioned that because my uh, second episode will drop on Monday and we cover the Gill man and creature from the black lagoon. Mm -hmm. And I made sure to talk about both of the people that played the monster, one uh, underwater, one on land, and the the creator of the costume, Millicent and Patrick, um, yep. who who designed the Gill Man, because it's so central to the uh, 
these figures and these films and yeah. uh, horror fans do care a lot about that and other people might not know. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's the one genre where, you know, I, I say this all the time, like, you know, you don't go, you know, well, there aren't conventions for a lot of the other genres, but if you mm-hmm. go to like a lot of the other genre conventions, all their, the people are there to see the stars, the actors, you know, like the horror is the one place where it's like, we want to know the, the makeup artists and the writers and the, who did the costumes and who did the, who made that t-shirt, you know, it's like, you know, I just, I love it. Like I love it. It's mm-hmm. like, so it's so soul fulfilling <laughs> to go. People are like, Oh, I, I guess you get sick of this. Don't you? I'm like, trust me in Hollywood. Nobody gives a flying frig who the writer is on something <laughs> in features. Like in t- TV, it's different, but if you're in features, they don't care who the writer is. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, I, I don't know. It's, I think we're like the one genre where it's like horror fans love with their entire heart. Yeah. Like, we invest everything in us to the genre and it's 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 people like you who give us a reason to keep doing that because it's you created something that millions of people across the world are you know hold up as like one of their favorite movies or one of their favorite franchises or we used to have uh final destination watch parties like uh, in Hmm. like high school like by the time the second one and the third one came out and, and you could do like a triple feature and you know, it, it'd be, it was always fun introducing people who didn't watch horror movies and it's like, watch this. And, Ew, that's disgusting. Or like, yeah. <laughs> you know, the dentist scene in the second one is, it, it's oh. one that sticks out to me. Just the choking and just the, the instrument in his mouth and everyone knows this experience and everyone, no matter what is sitting there going, oh God, this is going to get, because you're worried about the drill. You're worried about everything yeah. that yeah. could happen. And it's such a blast to watch with people. And, and it's like sitting here with some, like, 20 years now really I, i've loved these films and it's like to, to be able to express that to you is it's an honor like you've you've touched a significant cool. portion of my life well thank you and again it, it, the feeling so reciprocal because obviously you know as a f- fan myself it's great to hear that but just as somebody who works like again if it wasn't for fans like, we wouldn't you know we would we would just be trying to be creative in a vacuum so you know yeah. the fans are what kind of keep all of every creative person I know, like the fans are what keep us going yeah. during all the lean rough times, you know, cause it's always a, it's a rough business, obviously. Um, yeah. So you hold on to your successes and you hold on to your, your fans and you hold on to the, the love that's out there and you kind of give it back and it's just a great community. So. Yeah. That's another thing that I've noticed about the horror community specifically is that creators and the, the actors and the writers are typically fans themselves and they also really connect with fans. Yeah. And so there's a lot more, it feels like a lot more openness in the community to actually just reach out and be accessible and to engage with, you know, fans of the series, uh, fans of the films, etc. More than I think in some other genres and parts of the entertainment industry. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I would absolutely agree it's 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 just been an absolute pleasure <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm, awesome. just, I'm really over the no. moon right now yeah honestly it's been a uh completely every now and then i have an experience where i'm like uh like earlier period jeff literally wouldn't understand my life right now right this is one of those <laughs> moments where i'm like right wow like high school jeff who never 
you know, who felt kind of on the, the outside looking in a lot and didn't really have a community that I felt I connected to. If I were to explain him today, he would be like, you're not future Jeff. Future Jeff is lying to me. What the hell are you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I guess I should be more douchey and just not talk to people. There you go. I don't want to, I feel like you'd be bad at being douchey though. Yeah. I I really, yeah. I've, I haven't even tried because I can't even get halfway through being douchey. I think the only time <laughs> I think the only time I ever said that you know who I am, which I can't believe I ever uttered those words and I want to smack myself, was when I was really drunk. And again, I quit drinking 13 years ago. Um, when I was really drunk at a party and they were trying to throw me out because I was so drunk and I was like, Do you know who I am? And yeah, I was like, I Oh like- god, you should have thrown me out and kicked me in the face for saying that. Um so yeah. Uh, you know what? That I happens to like, me at the Olive Garden all one. the time. Yeah. <laughs> but they don't kick you out because when you're there, you're family. So they're just like, oh, that's <laughs> Uncle Andrew. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dark Crow, you bastards. I play games online. <laughs> don't you know what my score is? <laughs> oh. Jeffrey, what, what do you have? Uh, what, what have you been up to? Um, you know, it's been a really interesting time. I directed my first feature called um, Don't Look Back, which just came out like on the 16th. So it's on video on demand right now. Um, it's a, I, you know, I'm one of those horror fans that I hated when people that made horror movies were like, it's not a horror movie. It's a, a psychological thriller because <laughs> I, I just say it's a horror movie. But I have to say, in, <laughs> because it's a, it's an indie film, and it's a, really quickly, it's about some people. The setup is people are comparing it a little bit to Final Destination, which I think is is um, not in the right way because it it is about a group of people who witness somebody being fatally assaulted and don't help, and some people videotape it and it gets out to the public. So somebody or something starts killing off the witnesses, and our our lead character thinks it's supernatural. You know, the other people think it's a killer. Um, she's trying to solve the murder in the park to kind of stop it. Um, so it's it's it, I wrote it to be like a what's doing it as opposed to who's doing it. Uh, so mm-hmm. it, it's not horror traditionally in the fact that, you know, I can't really show the killer or the kills because I can't give away what the mystery is. You know, so right. more of us, it's it is more of a mystery with horror elements in it. Um, but, it, you know, I'm it's I'm excited. You know, it's my first time directing um, you know indie budget but i think we we got a lot done with it and um you know there's a lot i was trying to say in the movie and you know when i read the reviews like the reviews that don't like it all seem to be comparing it to final destination and how it doesn't have the stuff that made final destination is like it doesn't have the big set pieces and the bloody you know and it's like that's not what i'm doing and then the places (laughs) that really like it seem to really spawn or really spark to the um all the kind of thematic stuff that I'm trying to do with the film. So, and I also got to cast my first, um, you know, black lead actress in a, you know, Oh, hell yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So I was really, and she's, she's amazing. Um, So I got to the, you know, I got to cram a lot (laughs) into the movie for, for, for the limited resources we had. So um, that's out now. So I'm really excited about that. And, um, and I'm working on a couple of animated cartoons um, for Netflix, which is funny. One of them, they've announced, but it's a spinoff of uh, the, the Osagi Yojimbo comic book. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. It's a spinoff, so it's not an adaptation, but, uh, you know, um, the creator is, like, on board and overseeing everything, and that's been so much fun to, to write. And um, so it's fun to be kind of working in the 
what you know the younger animated space just for you know you know stretching creative different creative muscles so um the other one i'm working on they haven't announced yet so i can't see what it is but it's coming out this halloween so you know you can follow me on on twitter is probably the best way jeffrey and um yeah you know i'll keep everybody you know posted on new stuff and the rest of it's just hustling you know how this business is (laughs) so many times it's like oh we're we're gonna make this we're close to making it this is in pre-production this is in yeah yeah okay then we're not in production anymore at all so it's like you know i'm there's a lot of stuff i'm working on but um those are the you know the and i also produced a film called the call that just came out this past weekend with lynn shay and tobin bell and it's a it's a straight up horror fun indie film God, I love Lynn so, Shay. Yeah. And I yeah. like Lynn from just the Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, Alone in the Dark Days. I knew who she was. And she's Bob Shay's sister who ran New Line Cinema. So, you know, I have always known her work and I got to meet her finally, you know, years ago. And we got to work with her on a project called The Final Wish. And she, I just adore her um, as a person. And then we got to work with her again on The Call. And then I got to meet Tobin Bell, who was just like the nicest guy he has like, you, you've almost got to watch this movie because he's got a, probably a nine page speech that he gives <laughs> and he had it memorized. It's just, it's, he just had it memorized, but also had every line has like different inflections. You know what I'm saying? Like it just, yeah. he just and then spew it out. Um, it's just amazing. He's just amazing to watch. They, they both are. And the younger cast is great. Um, so it's been a fun, it's been a fun Halloween. I mean, obviously I wish things weren't going on in the rest of the yeah. world you know, right now. Right. It's, it's, right. We're all struggling and, and things like that. So it's, you try to be mindful and not try to plug your stuff too much because you don't want to seem like an insensitive jerk. But then at the same time, you're yeah. like, I bet I do have a movie out. <laughs> well, I mean, that's why I wanted to ask. I mean, I, I always want to ask and support the guests who are kind enough to come on, but uh, you know, on the one hand, I, I 100% get why, you know, you want to be thoughtful. But on the other hand, at least, and maybe this is different for me as somebody that, you know, I write about film and television all the time. And so it was really depressing at a certain point to be like, oh, all the news is bad for months. Yeah. But it's yeah. so nice to have things that I can share with people and, and get out there that I'm like, no, this is a good thing and you will enjoy something. Yep. You know, and it's nice to be able to share that. I have a question because you guys seem like you're very knowledgeable on horror stuff. And sure. one of my one of my friends told me, and this was like six months ago, and I never thought about it, but my friend told me that I was the first person of color to create like a studio horror franchise. And I looked around, and now I know Rusty Cundiff and, um, oh my God, I'm just blanking on his name. Um, they did Tales from the Hood. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm just blanking on his name. Cut this part out because I'm really embarrassed. Well, was um, Spike Lee involved with the original Tales? Yeah, Prince? but I, I know both of the, um, I think it was Darren Stein and Rusty Cundiff, but um, yeah, that's it. Darren Stein and Rusty Cundiff. I know they did Tales from the Hood before Final Destination, but only the first one came out in theaters and the sequels came out direct video. Right. Yeah. But I couldn't think of any more. And I was like, that's pretty fucking cool. I never thought about that. I, I, th- in terms of franchises, yeah, because you know I'm thinking like uh, you got Ganjin Hess, you have uh, you, some of the, I, I consider like Petey Wheatstraw by Rudy Ray Moore to be like a horror comedy. I mean, he fights I demons in it. That. It's, uh, but yeah, no, I think maybe 
because James Wan came out after me. Yeah, <laughs> right. Because he's the king of horror. Yeah, you James, paved the way for you James beat, Wan. You beat James Wan by like a year <laughs> or two, right? Thank yeah, you, James Wan. Um, I <laughs> yeah. think maybe the first that I can think of is uh, William Crane, maybe director for Blackula. Because there's, um, he did, he only oh. directed the first one, but there was more than one. Did he write the first one too? Uh, he, let's see, he, no, he did not do the screenplay for it. He just directed it. Okay. I, I should have thought about, because I've, I've watched Blackula. I, I forgot about Blackula. For some reason, I thought a white guy wrote that one, but that would be. I don't know why I thought so he too. He directed <laughs> it. He didn't write it. So um, three people wrote it and I, I don't know. Yeah. You don't know their races? Come on, Jeff. (laughs) It's 2020. I don't see race. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because I I, I always got the distinct impression that Blackula was written by white people, too. But (laughs) it's just, yeah. That's why I had to check, because I saw the Shudder documentary, and I I remember... Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I remember remembering William Crane, but I couldn't remember his overall role. I knew he directed it, but I was like, did he produce it? No. Did he write it? He did direct it, though. It's so funny. The the guy who did Horror Noir hit me up after he saw another interview of mine, and he's like, I did not know you did Final Destination. <laughs> I am mortified. But that's the funny thing is, like, you know, people don't, I don't know if I sound white or, <laughs> or people just don't care. But, no, I remember. Um, good, which is good. It doesn't matter, you know. I, uh, like, I remember you from like the like the the DVD stuff and like you know the uh, interviews with you and stuff. I I always thought it was uh, I always thought you were overlooked in terms of like a legacy like that. It's I don't think you've been. I, I thought you were passed over a bit personally. Uh, yeah, because it's I a mean, huge it's... it's a huge fucking franchise, right? <laughs> yeah. No, it is. Yeah, it's one that fans. <laughs> I do know for for sure that fans respect it. You know. Yes. Yeah. Uh, because when you mention it in fan circles, people are like, "Oh, yeah, great." It's not like, "Oh, yeah." Mm-hmm. No, it's a it's a it's a big franchise. I think it was I think it was a matter of timing because I worked at the studio and the movie came out, and I st- stayed at the studio after I sold it and till it came out, and then I stayed in it in New York too. So I wasn't out in Hollywood like making the rounds, like like one does when you yeah. Yeah. sell a movie. So it, after I sold the second movie. You know, my my Bob Shea was like Jeffrey. I I love you, but dude, you you sold two two movies now to us. <laughs> like, <laughs> go out in the world and be a real writer. Like, You'll <laughs> be a big shot. You'll be. It. And then I was like, okay, but then I was like, well, I can still stay in New York. And then nine eleven happened. So then I moved oh, to shit, LA yeah. after nine eleven. And literally, when I got out here, my agent had to kind of introduce me to the town. So this was after. You know, I sold it in '97, <laughs> so there, there was a long oh, yeah. stretch of time where I wasn't doing anything. And by the time I got out here, they're like, "Who the hell are you?" I'm like, "Well, my name's all over the poster." Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. You're like, "I'm um big circle, this guy. I am this guy. Yep. I will <laughs> yep. sick death on you. Well, you will die <laughs> if you don't know who I am." So, um, so no, it's been um, it's been an interesting journey. But again, it's it's I'm just happy that I'm still able to to keep working and getting things made, you know, cause that's, that's the name of the game really. And, and is to stay creative and yeah, you know, not have like one or two, hopefully, you know, just keep getting able to get stuff made. So mm-hmm. I'm very fortunate that, you know, that that's happened and I haven't, you know, 
yeah. falling off the, the map or the wagon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, on both. Yo, well, thank you uh, for being uh, thank you for being on the cast. It's been a, a, a legitimate, true pleasure. Definitely, uh, I've had a blast too. Yeah, I'm so happy to hear that. Um, well, uh, yeah, if you me... if you ever want to come on and chat about any monster movie or monster, whatever your choice, let me know. Okay, absolutely. And if you guys ever want me on again, or if you think of something you want to chat about, hit me up and let me know when this comes out, and I'll I'll um, promote it and everything too. Of course. Oh, Thank wonderful! You. Uh, yeah, you. so um, it'll be uh, three Mondays from now because I'm doing it biweekly right now. Okay, you'll definitely have to remind me. You, I will. I'm so, <laughs> even if it was next week, I'd be like, "Remind me." I'm yeah, really d- as a courtesy, I would. I wouldn't uh, just be like, "You didn't remember." How dare you? We we leaked Death's plan, and he tried to destroy my podcast. <laughs> and you're like, Which, and you said you couldn't be a douche. <laughs> <laughs> like, like join, like join me on Humanoids for the Deep Dive episode three, where Jeffrey Reddick is kind of a jerk to me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because he thinks he's a big shot. <laughs> Jeffrey Reddick is a, a bastard man. Me. Yeah, you, you are, are like you really are. Like, well, thank you guys. I re- no, it means a lot. It really does. I mean, you know, again. Fans are great, but, you know, just as a creative person, you know, getting that feedback means a lot. You know, it really does. It's yeah. yeah. I've it just like when when Jeff asked uh, for me to be on the show, it was he didn't see it or anything. But I I literally like jumped up and down. It was like, yes, Jeffrey Reddick. Yes. Like I (laughs) this this was like this is a bright spot in a very dark year. I, I can't. I, I can't thank you both enough. Oh, guys. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you so much. That actually, that does mean a lot. I mean, you know, it really does. Um, Absolutely. Like, uh, that's the thing for me, because I was like, I, I need to, when I was coming up with the idea for this podcast to begin with, I was, my, part of my motivation was like, well, I need something like actively creative to do just to make the world feel more interesting. Yeah. And I thought, oh, what do I really love? Talk about monster movies. I, I really just been using this whole podcast thing as just a chance for me to geek out with a bunch of people I really admire. So it's, it's well, that's it's wonderful. You know, that's great. You know, I mean, again, it's like it's it's really fun, and again, just kind of brightens our spirits. And you know, yep, right, yeah, yeah. It's like I, I, I don't blow like I don't blow smoke, and like this, this is like uh, I'm, I'm a chimney stack right now. Like this is <laughs> this this is so fucking cool. Like I don't know, man. It's just so fucking cool. And that wraps up our episode. I'd like to give a special thanks to our guests for this episode, Jeffrey Reddick and Andrew Fleming Dunn. Thank you very much. Once more, I'd like to extend a special thanks to our guests this episode and to all of you out there listening. From the dawn of recorded human civilization, we've been fascinated by monsters and the monstrous. They've inhabited our dreams and nightmares. They've been our protectors and our villains. They've symbolized our fears and vices, our hopes and potential. Fears of creatures and the night that nourishes them were key inspirations and fuel for the rise of human civilization, the need to get out of the shadows, behind the walls, and into the light. In many ways, understanding our monsters is an important part of understanding our world and ourselves. So thank you for taking this journey with us, we humanoids from the deep dive. (laughs) 